This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. And so today we're going to continue on in part three of our series called Closer. And the goal is, as we're in this 21 days of prayer, talking about ways that we can get closer to God, ways that, that we can get closer, closer to Him. And so part one, uh, week one, we spoke a few weeks ago. The title was What He Wants, What God Wants. We asked the question, what does God really want? And we understood that, that we all worship something. Um, we all worship something, and worship is our response to what we value. We understand that it's okay to value things. It's okay to appreciate things. But where the mix-up happens is when we value something more than we value God. And so we understand that God wants to be number one. Not only does he want to be number one, he earned the right to be number one in the sense that, that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross to pay for our sins. So it's our responsibility to keep him number one. So that's what he wants. He wants to be number one in our life, and that's how we, one of the ways that we worship Last week we talked about, we asked the question, okay, so I get it, I'm supposed to worship with him, number one, but why? I like asking questions. I like diving into things. Why am I here? Why did he create me? Why, why do I need to worship? And we understood that, that Lucifer was an archangel, and when he was kicked out of heaven, the structure of heaven was kind of messed up. And then God said, wait a second, time out. I have another plan. And he created humanity. He created us to establish, to reestablish structure to the kingdom of heaven. So essentially, we were made to worship him. We were made to replace Lucifer, the archangel, the worship archangel. We were made to replace him in heaven or in the kingdom of God as heaven's worship leader. So we are heaven's worship leader. Well, that leads us to today and leads us to, okay, I get it. We're supposed to put him number one. We're supposed to worship him. I know why I was made, but how? How do I worship him? How do I show him that worship that he deserves? How do I put him number one? And so today our title is Express It. Express It. Some of you guys are like, man, I hope he expresses his sermon because I want to go to Chicken Express and get some chicken. Can I get an amen? That's not the kind of express we're talking about. We're talking about express, to vocalize or to, to show there's a lot of ways to show expression. Uh, my daughter, Whitney, is very expressive with her face. Like, you'll see her making faces, and you know exactly what she's thinking and exactly what's going on in her mind because she's so expressive with her face. Some people are expressive with body language. Uh, you can just tell when they're, you're talking to someone and they're, like, done talking to you. you know, they kind of, like, turn their body to the side, and they're expressing that they don't want to talk to you anymore. There's a lot of ways to express. Some people are expressive with their hands. I've got to express to you how important the sermon is today that we're talking about. There are a lot of ways to express things. And so what we want to talk about today is how do we express our worship? How do we express our worship to God? And so and express it. The it part, uh, that's, that's, that's what we're going to kind of get into here in just a second. It's not cousin it. Don't worry. We're not talking about the Adams family. But how do we express it. And to do that, we have to go back to our last point from last Sunday. It all kind of flows in together. And the last point from last Sunday was, I was made to express love. I was made to express love. And we use the, the scripture of John chapter 4 verse 23. And uh, it, it was a supporting scripture to support that point. But I want to go back there, but not yet. 
before we go back there, I want to kind of back up and read what's before that scripture. If you really want to understand a scripture and get as much as you can from the scripture, it's very important to read the context. Read what's before and what's after. So if we take a step back and go back to John chapter 4, we're, I'm gonna, we're gonna start at verse number seven. And by the way, all of this is in your mobile app, on your, your notes app. And uh, there's a lot of scripture references today, so you can follow along, you can take your own notes. Uh, I'm gonna talk about tequila in a little bit, so you can take notes on tequila. It'll make sense in a little bit, don't worry. But you can take notes on what we're talking about today, so go pull that up and you'll be able to follow along. It'll be a lot easier. So we're gonna go to John chapter four. And verse number seven, I'm going to catch us up real quick. So basically, Jesus, walking with his disciples, they're hanging out. They're going from one town to the next, traveling. And in the process, um, Jesus gets tired, which who knows if he really got tired. But either way, the Bible says he got tired. And so he sat down next to a well. Well, the disciples say, Jesus, we're hungry. You hang out here. We're going to go to town and get some food. So the disciples go to town and get some food and leave Jesus there by himself, which brings us to verse number seven. It says, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Pretty simple question, right? Hey, you're coming to get some water. Can I have a drink of the water that you're getting? Well, there's a little more to this scenario because Jesus is a Jew. This woman is a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans, they don't mesh. They don't work together. They, they despise one another. Uh, essentially what it is is Samaritans are the children of, of uh, Jews who married other nationalities and other people. So the Jews kind of viewed themselves as, hey, we're the true Jews. We're, we're true. We're real. We're, we're full-blooded Jews. You guys, nah, not so much. And so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. And so there was this weird conversation, this weird dynamic that wasn't really supposed to happen. She wasn't supposed to be talking to him. And so we go on to verse 9. It says, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans? There we go. So Jesus answered her, he said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is like, bam, I'm the guy who's going to hook you up, take care of you, and do something awesome for you. The woman doesn't quite get it. She goes, uh, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where can we get this living water? And then she, she goes back to her kind of her heritage, her tradition. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock? Jesus is trying to do something amazing for her, but she's stuck in the past. She's stuck in her heritage and her traditions and what's going on. So Jesus tries again. Verse number 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of, well, of water welling up to eternal life. And she still doesn't get it. She's like, she's like me. Like, I'm kind of stubborn sometimes. Like, I have to hear it a few times or I have to see it or experience it to really for it to process and get through. And so she responds, please give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to this well to draw water. So Jesus, I can see me kind of like exasperated, kind of frustrated. All right. So he changes tactics. He says, go call your husband and come back. She replies, I have no husband. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. And then she responds, wait a second. Wait, what you've said is just true. And you can start to see the wheels beginning to turn in her mind. She's starting to kind of piece some stuff together. How did he know that? Wait a minute. Living water 
Eternal life? Okay, there's something more to this guy than, than what meets the eye. He's not just some, some Jew. He, there's, there's something more to him. So she responds. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. So she's still kind of confused. She doesn't quite get what's going on. But I can imagine inside of her, her spirit man is starting to piece it together. Her, her spirit starting to, to bubble over. Her spirit starting to get excited because she's interacting with Jesus Christ. And her spirit starting to get excited, but her, her body doesn't know how to respond. Her, her words, her mind doesn't know how to respond. So what does she do? She jumps to the one thing she knows. She responds with the one thing she knows. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. So she knows that she's supposed to worship. She just doesn't quite know how yet. So she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And so she knows, but she just doesn't quite understand, so she goes back to what she knows. She goes back to her, her tradition. She goes back to her, her past. And like us, we, we know we're supposed to worship a lot of times, but we don't really know how to respond. We, our spirit's excited because we're connecting with God, and it, it's beautiful, but how do I express it? How do I get it out? And then Jesus responds in verse 21. He says, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So Jesus is like, all right, I know you want to worship me. I, I know you don't really know how to express it yet. So let me just kind of tear some stuff down and, and, and kind of break it down and rebuild it for you. So he says, it doesn't matter where. He says, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship. That's the scripture we used last week, John four twenty three, And that word worship right there, does anybody remember what that word worship means? Anybody? To kiss, yes, to kiss. It means to kiss. Worship means to kiss. Not like, like, like a husband and wife would kiss, but the true definition, the, 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 the Greek word there is like a, a dog kissing his master's hand. And so last week, we used the analogy of, of my minister Schnauzer, Bailey. When I open the garage door, she's going to go nuts because she knows that we're home. And then she's going to follow us around wherever we go. She's going to spend time with us. She's going to want to be next to us. And so what Jesus is saying here is the time has now come when true worshipers, people who, who want to have that relationship with God, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. So I've heard this scripture my entire life. I grew up in church. I've heard this. I've always kind of gotten the spirit side of it. Like we talked about it last week. I, inside of me, God created me with the spirit. He breathed the breath of life into me, so he created me with the spirit. My spirit is made from him, it's sustained by him, and it will return to him. So when I worship on Sunday mornings with this beautiful music, my spirit is connecting with him, and we're having that, I'm worshiping in that spirit. But the word truth always just kind of, kind of intrigued me. I never really got what that mean. I mean, I'd heard preached a couple of times in different ways, but to get the true meaning of a word or what a scripture means, you can read the context, but you can also go to the original writing of the word. And so this was written in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so if you go to the root meaning of the word truth here, the root meaning of the word truth is unconcealed and not hidden. It's very important to catch this because Jesus is saying, it's time for those who want a real relationship with me, who want to worship me, to worship me in spirit with their spirit man, but also unconcealed and not hidden. I love my wife. This is a representation of my marriage to my wife. If I take this off 
and I hide it and conceal it, it's not good for her. It's definitely not good for me because I won't be getting any hugs or kisses when I get home. I use my ring as a representation, as an expression of my love and devotion to my wife. Our worship is a representation of our love and devotion to him. Our expression of worship is a representation of our love and devotion to him. So if we hide it and conceal it, people don't know. Jesus kind of had the same problem in his day. If you think back to the Old Testament, you think back to David, David was a very exuberant worshiper. He was passionate. The Bible says that he would sing songs in the field. He wrote songs with his harp. The Bible says that, that he danced before the Lord. He was, he was very passionate in his worship. But that was a long time ago from Jesus' day. So we fast forward to Jesus' day, and I think Jesus had the same problem and experienced the same problem in his day of worship being concealed. Because Luke 19, chapter 19, verse 37 through 40 it's kind of another quick story, and it says Jesus is coming um, near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the, mir- all the miracles they had seen. They were joyfully, boastfully praising God with loud worship. And then verse 38 says, they sing, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Any Michael W. Smith fans? Nobody? Few, anybody know who Michael W. Smith is? I got a few hands. Thank you. Okay. Great song if you want to listen to it. Old school, like takes me back to my childhood back in the day. Anyway. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And so the disciples are singing this. They're expressing it loud. And then some of the Pharisees in the crowd, some of the, the, the deacons, some of the elders, some of the religious leaders, they go to Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, you need to rebuke your disciples. You need to shut them down. Like they can't be doing this. It has to be done a certain way. And then Jesus responds in verse 40, says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. He says, no, 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 no. They're not going to be quiet. They're going to keep doing this because it's what I want, because it's their expression of worship to me. And so that's our main point for the day. The main thing I kind of want, would like for you to take away is that worship is love expressed. Worship is expressing our love to God. We express it to him, our love for him. And that's why the, the, the line in the song was so important. We're returning that love to you in worship. Worship is expressing our love in return to him. My wife and I read a book a few years ago called The Five Love Languages. It's a very, very popular book. And the premise of the book is that everybody um, feels love in one of five different ways. And usually you have one or two that are top. My two top are gifts um, are gifts and, and words of affirmation. And my wife's two top are quality time and physical touch. Well, it's easy for me in wanting to show my wife love to give her love in my love language because it's natural. It's easy for me to, to buy my wife a gift and give her this gift because that's how I enjoy receiving love. But in the process, what I need to do is I need to take a step back and say, wait a second, that's how I give love. That's how I receive love. That's how it's easy for natural for me to give love. I need to look at how she gives love or how she receives love. And so what do I do? I have to be conscious about ways to give quality time to her and give physical touch to her. I'm not a hugger. Like, growing up, like, my family didn't hug. Like, we, like, shook hands. It was really weird. But, like, I'm not a big hugger. Well, my wife is a hugger. She likes to hug. So I have to go out of my way to consciously thinking, think about hugging her. 
The same applies to our relationship with God and our expression of love to him. We all have our ways that we want to express our love to him. We all have ways that are natural for us, but we got to take a step back sometimes and say, wait a second, I know how I express love. How does God express love, and how does God want love expressed to him? And so the kind of the basis for the next few minutes of our time together is this, this one statement is there in your notes. It says, I choose to love him the way he wants to be loved because that's what you do in love. I choose to love him the way he wants to be loved because that's what you do when you're in love. Basically, I'm in love with God, so I'm going to do what I need to do to express my love to him in his love language. God does have a love language. In fact, the whole book of Psalms is basically an explanation of his love language, of how he likes to receive love. And it's, it's pretty important. I mean, the book of Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, so he took a lot of time to, to, to make sure these words were penned to talk about his expression of love to him. Remember, he wants to be number one, and he deserves to be number one, so he's like, I'm going to make sure I'm number one. I'm going to write all these verses about it. So when you take a step back and look at the book of Psalms, there is a lot of information in there. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Well, growing up, I was raised in church, and so if you said Sunday morning worship, I had this, this mental image, this perspective of what Sunday morning worship would look like. And to me, I felt it looked like a lot of the book of Psalms. Well, my grand, and I told this story in, in week one, my grand was raised in a Methodist church, and her style of worship was very different than my style of worship. There, there are... There are really kind of can be two extremes of worship. You have the super flamboyant and, and, and really out there, super emotional, and you have the, the very reserved and very, very concealed style of worship. I, I want to present to you the thought and the idea that there's, there's kind of a sweet spot maybe in the middle. And here's what, here's what leads me to believe that. Because as you read through the book of Psalms, chapter 150, or excuse me, as you read through the book of Psalms, through these different, these different verses, you'll find the different styles of worship represented. So before we dive into that, because uh, Psalms is, is, an amazing, is an amazing book, and we're going to dive in here in just a second. But before we do, um, I want to take a step back and explain a little bit about the book of Psalms. So the book of Psalms is written, and there's a lot of really amazing things in it. But there's a word that's used really throughout the book of Psalms called praise. And many times in, in church circles, you hear the words praise and worship used together. We have a time of praise and worship. So what praise is, is praise is the physical expression of worship. So we're going to talk about praise for just a few minutes, and I want you to realize and understand that praise is the physical representation of my worship to him. Okay? So, book of Psalms, it's loud, there's music, there's clapping, there's dancing. It looks like my house on a Sunday afternoon while the Dallas Cowboys are playing. Can I get an amen? There we go. I think I, I knew I would get that amen right there. I love the Cowboys. I am a Cowboys fan. I clap, I jump up, I fist pump, I celebrate when the Cowboys win. I am a Cowboys fan. The thing I have to remember and I have to be mindful of is that I'm not going to allow myself to be more fanatical about the Cowboys than I am about the God of all creation who created me, who I was created to worship. Not an easy thing, I'll be honest with you, because I like sports and the Cowboys, but by putting him number one, I'm able to kind of navigate through that. Well, you may be saying, well, if I do that, if I go, if I go crazy on a Sunday morning and, and I, I fist pump on a Sunday morning or I do something like that, they're going to think I'm like a fanatic of Jesus or something. But on Sunday afternoons, it's like I'm a fan of the Cowboys. Is, is it such a bad thing to be considered a fanatic or a fan of Jesus? 
just, just a thought. Sorry, it's getting a little tight. It's okay. Let's move on so we can get even more tight. Ha. Y'all are going to love me after this, right? Like, I, I, God helped me to kind of see some things with regards to worship and, and have a different perspective of worship over the years. And so my thought and hope and prayer is that as I communicate this to you guys, that, that God, will, God will help change and, and help you kind of see some beautiful things about praise and worship and the expression of it. So let's dive into Psalms. There are, um, we talk, we, I've talked a lot about the origination of words and the, the meanings of words. Well, when things were translated from, from Hebrew or Greek, which was the original writings of the Bible, to King James Version, to English, there were a lot of words that we didn't have in the English language that the Greeks and the Hebrews, uh, the, uh, the Hebrew and Greek had. So a lot of times, the translators would see a word, and they would think, man, there's no real word for that in English, so let's make up a word. So they would make up a word, and in the process of making up a word, they would like use that word a whole bunch of times. So the word praise is all throughout the book of Psalms. Well, there are actually 11 different meanings for the word praise in the book of Psalms. There are seven that are, that are very predominant, though. The other few are, are not as quite as predominant. So I want to I tell you guys about these seven styles of expression of praise that are listed in the book of Psalms. And you're like, dear Lord, he's going to take us through seven. We're going to be here for like seven hours. I promise it's not going to be that long, okay? It'll be good. So the first one, the first meaning is Hallel. Everybody say Hallel. Hallel. Some of you may remember that one or may recognize that one because it's a part of the word hallelujah. And so Hallel is praise. And then the job part, the J-A-H at the end of hallelujah is referencing God. It, it, it is God. It's the word for God. But the word Hallel means to boast, to celebrate, to rave. So that doesn't mean all the lights are going to go down. We're going to have these like, light shining and people going, no, that's not going to happen. Don't worry. But... I guess it could be worship if you viewed it that way, but boast, celebrate, rave, or to be clamorously foolish. Every definition of the word halal says that to be clamorously foolish. All right, I look foolish every Sunday, okay? I get it. I know. I was standing over there today worshiping, and I can't dance. Like, you see this? Like, this, this is white. White boy can't dance, all right? So what I do, I do like, I grew up in church, so I do like the side shuffle thing, you know, like, like this while the music's going on. I know y'all are cracking on me. It's all right. I can't dance. I look foolish every Sunday dancing for the Lord. But hey, I'm doing it for the Lord, okay? When we first got married, my wife and I, it was bad. Catherine loves to dance. She's an amazing dancer. And um, we would be at weddings, and she'd be, like, out there on the dance floor, like, dancing. And I'm, like, this guy sitting over on the chair, like, good job, babe. You can dance. One wedding, she finally got me out there. And it was the most embarrassing thing I have ever done in my life. I know people were laughing at me like everybody was staring at me and me only as I was trying to white boy dance, and it was just bad. But now at weddings, I go out and I dance with her on the weddings because uh, I'm willing to look foolish for her because she likes it. And so the same applies to God. I look foolish, but I do it because I want to hallel him. I want to, I want to praise him. Psalms 35:18 is the scripture where this word is used. It says, then I will thank you in front of the great assembly. I will praise you. I will hallel you. I will look clamorously foolish for you before all the people. Hallel. Number two is yada. Yada. You don't have to say all these with me because they're kind of hard to pronounce. But number two is yada. I actually, I want to ask you a question real quick. If you love God, raise your hand. Congratulations. You just yadad God. That is what yada means. Yada means to acknowledge in public with the extended hand. 
Why do we raise our hands? Why do we extend our hand? Why do we acknowledge him in public with a raised hand? Because it's what he wants. It's what he asked for. If he asked us to like stand on one leg and stick one arm up like this and one arm out like this and tilt our head and stick our tongue out, we do it because that's what he asked us to do. It's our, our expression of love to him. Psalms 138.1 says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will acknowledge you in public with all of my heart. It's not something I'm just kind of half-heartedly doing. I'm going to do it with all of my heart. Number three is Barak. Barak means to bless by kneeling or bowing. It's to present to someone, like if you were to see royalty and you were to bow down or, or you were to submit in reverence to someone. And so Barak means to submit and to bow or, or to, uh, to, to bow before him and submit ourselves to him. Psalms 103.1 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Submit to him, O my soul. Everything in me, submit to him. I barak him by submitting to him. Number four is Zamar. Zamar is making music with instruments. I think we have some amazing music making today. Don't you guys agree? It was absolutely amazing. Psalms 92.1 says, It is good to praise. It is good to make music to the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. So, like, I imagine God in heaven, like, Brian's up there on the guitar, and he's, like, doing his guitar solo, and God's like, yeah, guitar solo, and he's, like, dancing with him. Or Mike Rodriguez is on the bass, and, like, bass players have their own kind of, like, style of making music. You know, they just do, like, the head bob. Like, so God's up there, like, playing with Michael doing the head bob. Or, you know, he's rocking out to Phil Collins. Anybody like Phil Collins? Like, I can feel it coming in the air tonight. And it's like, da-da, 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 God loves the drum solos, all right? He loves the drum solos. Hey, y'all know that song actually has Lord in it? I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. So, like, God can worship to that. God can celebrate that. So, number four is Amar. Number five, Shabak. And uh, Shabak means to address in a loud tone or to shout. Now, to say this word properly, you have to do, like, this whole, like, back of the throat, corn kernel thing stuck in there. Like, like Shabak. Uh, don't try it because you might get the person in front of you wet in the back of the head. But if you want to say it right, you would say Shabbat. Uh, but Psalm 63, verses 3 and 4 says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you. I will Shabbat you. I will shout to you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. I will celebrate you. Number six is Toda. Not Yoda. That's the little green guy. Toda. Toda, to lift hands in adoration, to lift my hands to you. Isn't it, did you kind of pick up and recognize that there are two different times that God uses hands as a form of praise? And so that, that's, God loves it when we raise our hands. I heard this comedian one time, uh, he was talking about, he uses his church experiences as a lot of his, his, his comedic elements. And he was talking about the different styles of hand raising in church. And he was like, you got the, you got the one that carry, you got to carry the TV and so you pray like this, or you praise like this, carrying the TV. And then you carry the widescreen TV, and you get them out just a little bit further. Yeah, and then you've got the hold my baby, hold my baby, Lord. And then you've got the uh, my fish was this big. And then you've got the my fish was this big liar. Um, and then you've got my favorite one, Simba. Or if you're really bold, you can do the field goal or the touchdown. It's okay to lift our hands in worship and celebration of him 
And that's because that's what he's asked for. In Psalms chapter 50, verse 23, it says, Whoever offers praise glorifies me. Whoever lifts their hands in adoration glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. And number seven is tequila. I told you I was going to talk about tequila, you're right? Sounds like tequila, doesn't it? No, it's not tequila. It's tequila. Tequila, which means exuberant singing. Kind of gets the same benefits or the same, you know, example. Too much tequila, you might have some exuberant singing. But tequila means exuberant singing. In fact, Psalms 34, 1 says, add tequila into this. It says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His tequila will always be on my lips. So, you know, kind of kind of connects too. So, you know, like, I just found my tequila verse. Let's go. No, not the tequila verse. Tequila, not tequila, okay? All of these things, all of these seven words, these seven styles of worship are acceptable on a Sunday morning. They're a part of a Sunday morning. It's okay to do these things. It's okay to look clamorously foolish and try to dance on Sunday mornings when you feel this amazing presence of God in worship. These are all good things on a Sunday morning. But they're not solely for a Sunday morning. So we're kind of looking at this from two perspectives. We have a Sunday morning worship experience, but we also have our everyday life worship experience, and and these two intertwine. What we do on Sunday mornings doesn't have to just be and, and can't just be Sunday morning. It would be like me waking up on Sunday morning and only telling my wife I love her one time on Sunday morning and then not telling her for the rest of the week. It would be like me waking up and, and giving my wife a hug and a kiss and saying, all right, that's your one hug and kiss for the week. Now let's go throughout the rest of the week and do our thing. Worship is not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an everyday life thing. And so you're like, okay, I get it. It's not limited to Sunday. So how do we apply this every day? I've got to remember, I've got to remember Tehillah. Uh, everyone's going to remember that one. I've got to remember Tehillah. There was two that sounded like Yoda. What were they? Yada and Toda. What do they all mean? How do I express all this prayer? It can become overwhelming because it's a lot. But I think Jesus gives some really good advice on how to navigate through all this. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 30. So Jesus is kind of in a debate with some of the religious leaders and some of the teachers of law. And one of them, here's the debate. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, he asked Jesus, he said, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, I can imagine this teacher of the law kind of struggling with this because there wasn't just 10 commandments, there were 440 of them. He was trying to teach 440 commandments to to everybody. He was like, you guys got to know these 440 commandments. And so he's like, maybe Jesus can give me an answer into like what the main one is, what the most important one is that way I can teach that and maybe the rest of them be a little bit easier. Well, you would expect Jesus to kind of say, no, you got to do all 440 of them. But this is how Jesus responds. He says, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Basically kind of reading between the lines and, and, and listen to what he's saying there is, if you do this one, the 440 will be a whole lot easier. If you try to do these 440 without doing the number one, the 440 are going to be a whole lot harder. And so it's important for us to understand that, that we worship him, we, we put him number one, and when we put him number one, everything else becomes a little bit easier. So this day-to-day living life of worship becomes a whole lot easier when you put him number one. This, this Sunday morning coming here and lifting our hands and looking clamorously foolish for him becomes a whole lot easier when you put him number one. 
And that's what he's saying. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. He said, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so let's take a step back and break that down for a second because those are three pretty important things. I know there's four, but we're going to break them up into three areas. Those are three pretty important things to remember. And if you can remember these, just these three things, because memorize this verse and memorize this, this part of it, if you can memorize this and embrace this every day, it will make living a life of worship a whole lot easier. It will, it will allow me to express my love to him a whole lot easier and a whole lot more effective in his love language. So what are they? Number one, all your heart and soul. That is expressing my affection to God. It's my emotions. I'm expressing my affection to God. God loves your hand clap. God loves your hand being raised. God loves looking full. He loves all that stuff. But he, it's not the same if we don't truly love him and we're not expressing it with our affection to him. He wants our affection. He wants to be close to us. He wants our affection. And so I do it with all of my heart and all of my soul, with all of my being. And so with these three thoughts, with these three things, I'm going to offer you three questions to ask yourself. And these are kind of a checkup questions. They're, they're barometers to, to test and kind of see where you're at on the worship level, on the worship scale of things. The first question that applies to this, worshiping God with all of our heart and soul is, what do I love most? I can't answer that for you. Only you can answer that. The Holy Spirit speaking to you can answer that. But the first question is, who do I, what do I love most? So the second part of the scripture that, we, that we're breaking down is, love the Lord with all my heart and soul, got it, emotions. Number two, all my mind, my thoughts. Focus my attention on God. So a couple weeks ago, I was rolling up to a lunch appointment and I was about to go in and my phone rang and it was Catherine. Catherine was on the phone, my wife. And when my wife calls, I do everything I can to answer. You know, it's, it's very important for me to be able to answer her phone calls. So I'm about to get out of the car, about to go in, and she calls me, and I, I get her on the phone. I'm like, hey, babe, uh, I'm about to go into an appointment. Is everything all right? Which is code word for, hey, like, speed it up, spit it out, or I need to go somewhere. And she goes, yeah, everything's great. And I'm like, all right, well, what's going on? Everything okay? She's like, yeah, I was just thinking about you and wanted to call and tell you I love you. And I was like, Oh, man, this lunch appointment can wait. I'm going home to see Mama. Let's go, you know. I didn't really do it, but I wanted to. I wanted to go home and, and, and be with her. But anyway, God kind of feels the same way when we take time out of our day to say, Hey, God, I just wanted to call and let you know I'm thinking about you. God, I'm about to go into this appointment. I'm about to go into this meeting. I'm about to start this project. I'm about to do this, but I don't need anything from you. I just want you to know that I love you. I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you. That's an expression of love and worship to him. And so I'm worshiping with all my mind, focusing my attention on God. And so the second question is, what do I think about most? What do I think about most? And then number three, the third part of the scripture, all of God with all of your heart and soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And, and I view strength as, as my actions, what I do on a daily basis, my abilities, using my abilities for God whether I'm at work or, or I'm at school or I'm playing sports or, or I'm out doing something, I'm, I'm grocery shopping, whatever I'm doing, I'm putting God at the center of it. I'm inviting God into the mix. It's important to bring him into the mix. Why? Because quality time is one of his love languages. He wants quality time with us. And when we invite him into the middle of what we're doing, he's a part of it. And it's our expression of love to him.
And so the last question that applies to this is, what do I do most? And so if you ask yourself these three questions, these are, these are the Brahmers, what do I love most? What do I think about most? And what do I do the most? If you ask yourself those questions and you're honest with yourself, you can probably start to piece together that uh, this is where I'm at in my level of, of devotion and commitment to God. This is, this is kind of what's going on. And I guarantee you that if you start doing these things, if you start asking yourself these questions at the beginning of the day or, or focusing, saying, God, I'm going to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength today. I'm going to, I'm going to do that today. You're going to begin to see a difference in your relationship with God. You're going to begin to be a lot closer to him than you used to be because you're taking the time. You're utilizing the energy that you have to express love to him in his love language. And all the seven things that we listed, the seven different types of praise are going to come a whole lot easier on a Sunday morning. And they're going to come a whole lot easier every day of life. I can sing exuberantly. You guys don't want to hear it, but I can sing exuberantly to God in my car. And it's an expression of worship to him. I can look foolish going down the road, driving with my hand up. God, I love you. You're so absolutely amazing. Thank you for being in my life. Adoration to him. I can look... I can look foolish doing that every day of my life. It's my expression of love to him. So my challenge for you today, my, my encouragement to you today is on a Sunday morning when you're here and there's amazing worship, take advantage of that time. Get close to him. That's what the, 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 the band and singers are up here for, to lead us in worship, not to, not to worship for us or not to, to show. It's to lead us to that place to help us get there. But then tomorrow morning on your way to work, continue on. Don't just tell him I love him. Don't just tell him I love you on Sunday morning and then not say anything to him the rest of the week. We get to express it every single day. And I want to go back to, I want to go back to the story that we started with, the woman at the well. There's something really, really intriguing about this story that as I was reading it and kind of processing through it, that kind of popped out to me. And it was this. This woman had five different husbands and the man she was with now wasn't her husband. And so we leave off at verse 23, but between, or verse 24, but between verse 24 and verse 39, there's a lot of stuff that happens with Jesus, but the woman kind of disappears because she goes back into town. And when she goes back into town, she goes and starts telling people about this man that she just met. Now, put yourself in kind of the townspeople's position. This woman has been with five different men. The man she's with now is not her husband. She's probably, been with quite, she's probably come and told them, told her friends about quite a few men that she has met. But for some reason, there's something different about her this time. Because verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She had felt all this passion about these, these other men, but something was different about her passion for this man. And so we have this responsibility as we're getting closer to him and as we're trying to worship him in our everyday life to, to, to be so madly in love with him that we're willing to look clamorously foolish for him. We're willing to hallel him. And in the process, it's not just us expressing love to him. It's others seeing us express love to him. 
And as we roll into this, this fall semester and, and, and school starting and, and, and Ricardo Sanchez being here next Sunday, and God's going to put you in positions this week to look clamorously foolish for him, to tell others about him, to show others your worship of him. And if you'll take that opportunity, just like the woman in the story, many people will believe because of your testimony. So we were created to worship. We get to express our worship to God every day. And in the process of expressing our love to God every day, you know what we're doing? We're pointing others to him. We're showing others what a true, real relationship with God looks like. Not just a halfway relationship, not just a, a, an on the edge of the line relationship, but a real, real relationship with God looks like. So in closing, I, I want to invite you to stand. And our, our, the thing I want you to take away with you today, the thing that I want you to kind of apply to your life is let's express our love for him so much that we're able to point others to him. Be so expressive with your love for him that in the process you're pointing others to him. You know, many of you today, you've probably been here maybe the past couple weeks or today's your first time here, whatever it may be, and you're thinking you've been in a position where you're like, I kind of get it. I get why they're wanting us to get closer to him. I get the 21 days of prayer, but I don't really... I don't know. I mean, you're, you're kind of dating this idea of getting closer to him. You're, you're kind of on the edge. You know, there's, there's this line right here, and you're, you're standing on the edge of the line. You're like, all right, I kind of want to go all in. I kind of want to jump all the way in, but I just, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I'm willing to look clamorously foolish for him. My challenge to you today, my encouragement to you today, be bold. Take the leap. Put the ring on it. Say, God, I am committing to you wholeheartedly. This 21 days of prayer, I know we've only got seven days left, but I'm going to do everything I can in this seven days to truly and sincerely express my love wholeheartedly to you. I promise you, if you do that, you will not be disappointed. And that's not my promise. That's a promise from Scripture. Jeremiah 29, 13 says in the message, when you come looking for me, when you come trying to get closer to me, you'll find me. And then he says, yes, when you get serious about finding me, when you go all in, when you make the commitment to worship me and express love to me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. So today is the day. Today is the day to make that decision. Today is the day to be bold and say, God, I am going all in with you. I'm going to express my love to you with not just a Sunday morning worship, but with a lifestyle of worship. I'm going to express everything I have. I'm going to give everything I have an expression of love to you. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And if that's you today, if you've thought, man, I'm, I'm on the edge and I haven't quite made the full decision. It's, it's my first time here today and I'm feeling this calling to church and calling to, to community and a relationship with God, but I'm just, I'm not quite there. If that's you, then this prayer I'm about to pray is for you. If you're like, you know, I've been coming to church and I've been in church my entire life and I've just kind of drifted away a little bit. I'm not as close as I used to be. I haven't been expressing my love to him like I should be. This prayer that we're about to pray is for you. 
Or maybe you say, man, you know, I've just kind of been on the edge. I just, you know, I, I want to give my life to God. I want to go all in, but I'm, I'm not quite. This prayer is for you. I can't pray it for you. It has to come from your heart. You have to mean it. But you can borrow my words. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray slowly. And if, if that was your thought, if that was your, your feeling today, I invite you to pray, to use your voice, use your words, express to him how you feel. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity to get to come into a place where we can experience your presence, where we can experience your love, where we can experience you in a mighty and powerful way. God, we know and understand that today, Sunday morning is not all it's about. It's a great experience. It's a great opportunity to worship and to connect with others and and to have this opportunity to be in your presence. But you have called us to a higher worship. You have called us to a higher lifestyle, a lifestyle of worship. And so, God, no matter what phase we're at, no matter where we're at in life, no matter what category we fall into, God, I ask that you would help us to go all in with you, to make the decision to get closer to you. Today is the day that we're being bold and we're making the decision to give our life to you, to completely surrender to you. That's our prayer today, God. And I pray that as we go from here, it wouldn't just be a decision, but God, it would be a commitment, something that we're doing. We're committing to you 100% wholeheartedly. We are putting you first in our lives. And because of that, we're going to express our worship, our love to you every single day. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.